Welcome to another episode of Mama Earth Talk. I'm your host, Maris Ganal. Realizing just how much waste we generate on a daily basis, I've set a personal goal not only to reduce, reuse, and recycle, but to also educate the world about sustainability and how each of us can help preserve our beautiful planet. Thanks for listening. Let's dig in. are all doing well wherever it is that you're listening to this episode. Today we have a really awesome guest and it was actually such an honor to speak to her because I've never spoken to anyone that is the voice of something. (laughs) So as you'll get to know she's got a really important role actually speaking up for the environment. So without any further ado, new month, new episode, let's get cracking. So our guest today is the founder of the Green Amendments for the Generations, a grassroots not-for-profit organization that is dedicated to securing constitutional recognition and protection of environmental rights. Now, she has been a passionate advocate for the health of the Delaware River and its tributaries for over 30 years as the Delaware's River Keeper. She was a lead petitioner in the Land Bank Robertson Township case and has testified multiple times before the U.S. Congressional Committees. She's also the author of The Green Amendment, Securing Our Right to a Healthy Environment, which won the 2018 Living Now Evergreen Awards Gold in the Nature Conservation category. During this episode, we looked at what exactly is Green Amendments, and how we can actually secure our right to an environmental future, and what it actually takes to be a voice of a river. Crazy birds, without any further ado, I would like to welcome Maya Van Rossum. Thank you so much for having me. You are most welcome. How did your sustainable journey start? Let's start off right there. I think that the true answer is I was born. <laughs> and <laughs> I think that I've always had an affinity and connection for the environment. I think all children do. But I was lucky enough to have a mother that nurtured that connection with the environment, just in very practical ways. We lived, lived our lives in ways that were respectful of the earth and the environment. And as a result, also other people. And if there was a critter or a creature that was harmed that I wanted to nurture or care for, my mother would support that. My mother would encourage me to join with her when decades back, it still happens to some degree, when here in the United States, people would rake up their leaves in the fall and put them in big black plastic trash bags and put them out as trash. And my mother would drive around the neighborhood and literally collect people's trash with most people looking at her sideways. And she would always invite me to come. And I would see how when people reacted negatively 
to her seemingly collector trash, how she very brightly would wave and say hi and say, you know, I'm just collecting your leaves to use them as compost, being very friendly and delivering a nice light message. And when I would feel embarrassed as a child because I was driving around with my mother, seemingly collecting people's trash, I saw her pride and joy in doing right and good. And that encouraged me to really own the power and importance of just doing what's right by the environment because it's what's right. And so that's the way I was raised in terms of my love of the earth. And then I think I also had a natural affinity for standing up for justice. And I would see my parents do the same thing. And it really didn't matter what the injustice was. Was it large or was it small? When somebody was doing something harmful or hurtful or wrong, my parents would stand in defense of what was right. So that was another thing that I would witness. And for me, that translated into wanting to stand up for the environment and for the earth. And so picking a path of environmental activism is what sort of grew out of those two parts of my personality nurtured by my parents, love of the earth and a dedication to standing up for justice and helping to give a voice to those who either don't have a voice because they're not human or don't have the personal fortitude, strength, or opportunity to give voice to their own needs when it comes to the environment. And so, you know, I would step into that role as an activist. Oh, that is so important. And I mean, that just like stems the importance of, I don't have children, but I know that whatever you do, if you have kids, they're like little sponges and they will pick up what it is that you are doing and they will mimic that. So if that is what you are doing, collecting other people's leaves to make compost, then guess what? That's going to trickle down. So that's amazing. That's such a wonderful like beginning. And you have done a lot of stuff in your life as well. I mean, you have really fought to protect a variety of different things. Like one of the things was with the Delaware River watershed, like that I found was really amazing as well. Would you share a little bit more about that as well for our crazy birds? I've had the honor for the last 30 years of serving as the Delaware Riverkeeper and literally having as my job to be the voice of the Delaware River. The Delaware River is 330 miles long. Its watershed is 13,539 square miles, and it includes portions of four states. And it's a very important, of course, natural resources to the communities that live in the watershed, human communities and non-human communities. And the river itself is, is beautiful, of course, and an entity unto itself. In my role as the Riverkeeper, not only am I the voice of the river, but I am the leader of that of a four-state organization called the Delaware Riverkeeper Network. And we, every day, fight the good fight for the beautiful Delaware River. So if somebody wants to dam it, inappropriately develop it, dredge it, deepen it, frack it, we rise up in defense of the river and help organize communities to stand in defense one of the important aspects of how I run my organization and amongst our organizational priorities is to do litigation. So if the advocacy doesn't work and we don't win the day and there is an opportunity for a legal challenge, I do have attorneys on staff. I'm an attorney myself, but I don't do the litigation. I have attorneys on staff that do that and we will go into court and take whatever legal action necessary and try to go to that next step. Oh, wow. That's amazing. And that is so important because I recently 
watch the video and I will link it in the show notes because I can't remember the full name of that amazing woman, Robin Wall, and then I can't remember her surname. But she kind of spoke about how would we treat the earth if we didn't call her the earth or whatever, like this is where I'm going to drill, this is where I'm going to do this. But if we actually refer to her as like Mama Earth or like how just by reframing our perspective around that, how that would affect the way that we treat her, that relationship. And I think it's so important that we need to bring that in. And for you being the voice of the, the river, you know, I sometimes wonder what would that river say if it actually had like an actual voice and it was saying, hey, Maya, good on you for protecting me. Like, you know, let's fight. Let's like try to keep me clean and safe. Well, I have the honor of being the river keeper and having that job description. Of course, we all know that protecting any any ecosystem is the job of a community. And that's where the Delaware Riverkeeper Network comes in. And so I do just want to emphasize that, right? I don't, I don't stand alone. I stand with the river and I stand with a community of people that come together to fight the good fight. But the other thing that I really tell people, and I particularly enjoy sharing this with children because for some reason they seem to receive it better, but the river really does speak to us. It just speaks to us in a different language. It speaks to us in sign language, right? And its signs are healthy and abundant fish life and ecosystems along its banks and good quality, fresh, clean water that that can be enjoyed by all. Or it's increased flooding and flood damages and erosion and algal blooms, right? And dying fish or toxic fish, right? So really the river does speak to us. It's just the the problem is, is that most people in the human world, particularly decision makers, don't want to listen to what the river has to tell us. They want to listen to what the environment has to tell us because all aspects of the environment have their own their own language. And so I really feel the river does speak to me. It speaks to all of us. The question is just w- whether or not you're willing to listen. Exactly. And I feel sometimes, especially, you know, the more you dig into these topics, there's there's obviously, you know, a lot of green that's coming out and that's not the green from the environment. That's the green from the ka-ching, ka-ching, you know, money. That's just like the voice that a lot of these people unfortunately hear. And, you know, I would love to see how many of them actually count all of their money by holding their breath because there's no longer clean air to breathe. So, yeah, I think we can like delve in that for probably another hour or so. But it's such a great point. And I do just, you know, as you're speaking, the thing is, is we all know it's true. And I think I, as an advocate, you know, and an attorney, one of the things I have to do is try to get into the head of the other side and figure out how and why are they making the arguments they're making? What are the facts or the fictions or the storylines that they're using that I have to understand so I can battle against them? But I do have to say that that point that you, you know, you just made that so many in industry or politics, people with power are driven by money and they would rather have the money than the healthy water and air that we all need to survive. They're perfectly content 
sacrificing other communities and future generations so they can have bigger profits. And, and they have the goal to come out just last night when I was at a hearing about getting constitutional environmental rights in the form of a Green Amendment in the state of Nevada. These people have the goal to come out and say, well, I believe in clean water. I believe in clean air. I just don't think that we need to make it a right of the people. And I cannot get into that space and understand how these people in their hearts and in their minds do value money more than a quality environment, the quality environment that they need to live and that they like all of us enjoy. I mean, think about it. Where do people go for vacation? Okay, some people go to urban areas, but so many of us go into nature because nature nurtures us and we love nature. And so, yeah, I, I just can't get into that headspace. It is one of the things I can, I just cannot fathom. Yeah, no, that is shocking. I mean, it just blows my mind. And I honestly just hope that there's some, some language that we can get, that we can understand, you know, let's talk, let's like see things clear. And one of the things that you just mentioned was the Green Amendments. What is a Green Amendment? So a Green Amendment is a specific kind of constitutional environmental rights amendment. Every Green Amendment is a constitutional environmental rights amendment, but not every constitutional environmental rights amendment is a Green Amendment. And, and why I say that is because here in the United States and in many countries around the world, there is talk in their constitutions about the environment about environmental protection, even about environmental rights belonging to people. But the way that constitutional language is written and where it's placed in the constitution, it's not truly enforceable. It's not actually a right of the people to clean water, clean air, a stable climate and healthy environments. It is, it is a recognition that this should be a human right and that legislators should legislate for the environment, even if they legislate badly, that's, you know, they should legislate. But when our government officials pass laws, enforce laws, fail to pass laws, fail to enforce laws that fundamentally sacrifice our communities and our environment to environmental pollution and degradation, the language in the Constitution does not become a tool to remedy that problem. A Green Amendment is different. A Green Amendment is carefully crafted language placed in the Bill of Rights section of our state constitutions. And ultimately, I'd like to get one in the U.S. federal constitution, which really do lift up environmental rights, the right to clean water and clean air, a stable climate and healthy environments. So they are given the highest constitutional standing, the highest legal recognition you can get under the law here in the United States of America. So when our government officials behave in a way that allows so much pollution and degradation that we are sacrificing communities, human health, safety, critical ecosystems, future generations, right, to a climate crisis, that the people can turn to that constitutional right and actually go into court and get meaningful action, or at least try to, because they have this human right that is constitutionally recognized. And the way I like to say to you know, I think most people, at least here in the U.S., know that how powerfully the right to free speech is protected, the right to freedom of religion. Well, 
With a Green Amendment, environmental rights now get that same highest constitutional recognition and protection under the law. Oh, that's amazing. And I mean, there is people all over the world here in Australia. We had a few young kids, I would say they were like all, I think, under the age of 18. And they actually made a case where I think it was the environment minister. I'll link this whole case in the show notes as well. About crazy birds want to listen or hear more about it. So they basically took them to court saying that if they approve these new mining sites for coal and gas and things that it's actually affecting their life. Because by the time this is going to be an issue, this person that signed it off is no longer going to be there. He's, you know, or she's going to be dead. And they and their children will sit with this issue. And so they actually won, but then it was overturned because of legalities and because of wordings. And so it just shows you how important it is to fight for these things and to make sure that, you know, we become that voice for the environment, that it's not just something that, you know, yeah, we've got all these constitutions and, you know, step A, don't do this. This is the second one. This is the third one. But we can just do whatever we want with the environment because, you know, she's not here. (laughs) We'll just continue. And that is something that you are fighting passionately about is the green amendments for the generations like movement. Can you tell us, like share a little bit more about that whole movement? In my role as the Delaware Riverkeeper, we had been fighting against fracking for gas from shale for many, many years. And that's sort of a whole story, a success story for the Delaware River and protecting it from fracking. But outside of our watershed, in our watershed states, particularly the state of Pennsylvania, fracking was just running amok. And in 2012, the frackers wrote a law that was actually going to make it even easier for them to frack without critical protections for communities and the environment. And so this fracking industry that was already having devastating consequences was just going to get exponentially worse and was going to no area where you could frack would be left untouched if this law had been allowed to stay in place. Again, the industry literally wrote it for themselves. So it was like a gift basket to the industry. But the Pennsylvania legislature passed it and the governor signed it and it became law. I and my Delaware Riverkeeper Network organization knew that we had to challenge this law, right? Because fracking anywhere is bad for all of us everywhere. Even though we had protected our Delaware River from fracking, this was one of our watershed states and was going to have devastating consequences. So we knew we had to challenge it legally. And as we were thinking about how are we going to challenge it, we recognized that in the Bill of Rights section of the Pennsylvania State Constitution, there was this long ignored constitutional right of the people to pure water, clean air, and a healthy environment. There had been bad precedent set about that language. And literally, long story short, it was robbed of all its legal strength decades ago. But we thought that maybe this law, this pro-industry law, was so egregious that we could actually overturn that 40-plus years of bad precedent. So we challenged the law. Seven municipalities, seven towns joined us. And the argument that we brought was that this law was going to violate the environmental rights of the people of Pennsylvania and that long-ignored environmental rights amendment. 
The case went all the way up to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, and we were successful. The chief justice of the Supreme Court wrote an opinion that said that the provisions of the law that we were challenging were, in fact, unconstitutional because they would violate that Environmental Rights Amendment. So we had this amazing victory where we stopped the law before it started, but also breathed legal life into this right of the people to a clean, safe, and healthy environment. So in the wake of that, recognizing that this was a victory we would not have achieved but for that language, I looked at what what was special about Pennsylvania's language that allowed us to be victorious. And then I looked at every state constitution across our nation and found that only one other state, Montana, had a similar environmental rights provision in their constitution. So I decided that I was going to change that and I was going to get this kind of environmental rights protection in every state constitution across our nation. And ultimately at the federal level, I identified like these key criteria and I dubbed this kind of amendment a green amendment. I wrote my book, The Green Amendment, the first edition in 2017. The second edition just came out a few months ago and wrote The Green Amendment as part of my effort to lift up this message. And then I started the organization Green Amendments for the Generations, and I really now work with communities in other states to champion this idea and seek and secure constitutional green amendments that will give environmental rights this highest protection. Wow, that is phenomenal. And I just applaud you for obviously, you know, stepping up and getting that done. And I feel once something has been achieved like that you know once you've you had Pennsylvania like doing that then it makes it easier for other states to be like hang on this woman is definitely not gonna give up like you know we either gonna have to give in or you know we need to make changes and I feel also in a way if governments want to make changes to correct their grammar, that they can kind of manipulate and use the the environment, there will be errors. There will be sloppiness sometimes. And that's when, you know, you can even go further and you can, you know, get even more. So that's amazing. And I mean, you've mentioned your book. Yeah, I'm really, really inspired by that. And for Crazy Birds, so it's called the Green Amendment, and it is right behind you. I can see the beautiful, beautiful book there. And you had Mark Rathlow actually doing your foreword as well. And something that he mentioned that was really phenomenal was that he called your book the next Silent Spring. Now, for our crazy birds that have not read The Silent Spring, That was a book that came out in the 1960s. I'll link in the show notes. And basically, Rachel Carson started doing this like whole detailed about, obviously, uh, pesticides and everything. And that book was the um, kind of catalyst for banning DDT. So for him to be able to give you that, that is phenomenal. And I'm looking forward to, you know, looking back on this interview and saying like, hey, yeah, you know, (laughs) remember that Maya? She's, she's done it. She has actually got green amendments in every state in the United States, as well as, you know, all the way into Washington. 
and other countries are following. So, um, so yeah, just w- well done on that. And like, can you share more about what can our crazy birds experience when they read that book? It's really going to tell a lot of stories about how our current system of laws, whether you're here in the United States or really anywhere in the world, the fact that we have a lot of laws, we have a lot of agencies, we have a lot of policies, we have a lot of programs focused, uh, supposed to be focused on environmental protection. And yet the way those laws are written, they just fundamentally fail us because all of these laws at the in the final analysis are really focused on legalizing environmental pollution and degradation by industry. But as long as you get the right reviews and the right permit from the right agencies, go forth and pollute. Yes, there might be some limitations. If you violate, maybe we'll enforce, maybe we won't, right? And so this just tells the stories of, of people who are being harmed by pollution and degradation and helping to, in a way accessible to everybody, understandable to every, everybody, help people understand how how this legal system is failing us and how and why just having this overarching constitutional right that is enforceable, a right of the people to a clean, safe and healthy environment, how that brings forth transformational change. And again, telling stories in Pennsylvania and Montana and now New York, because we got a Green Amendment last year in New York, how having that Green Amendment does bring forth that transformational change. And so it is worth the time for environmental activists and people everywhere to become involved in this Green Amendment movement because it literally will help save their lives and save the lives of future generations and save the quality and the lives of the of the nature that so many of us treasure. Oh, that's so, so important. And I mean, there's so much that's going on behind the scenes and everything to get these constitutional changes happening. But like, in a nutshell, can you like tell our crazy bits a little like, what is the steps? Like, you know, do you just wake up one day and walk into an office and be like, this is a paper, this is me, or like <laughs> a little bit background. So we all feel that we know a little bit more. Every state has a different personality, right? Has different environments, have different communities. The Green Amendment movement in every state where I'm working looks entirely different. It's all, I develop it. I develop the language that will be the the proposed constitutional amendment and the strategies to advance it with the communities of that state who have stepped up to want to be leaders in the Green Amendment movement, which goes really to your point. Like, how do you get it started? Yes, sometimes it is a person who just woke up And maybe they heard a podcast like this, or they read my book, or they read an article about the Green Amendment movement, and they heard me or saw me or read me saying, please get in touch. Let's partner up and make this happen in your state. And you know what? They picked up the phone and they called me and they said, how do I make this happen in my state? And we got to work together. Sometimes it was an organization that got in touch. Sometimes it was a progressive legislator, but it was really just someone or some entity who was moved and inspired to want to bring this critical protections to their communities. That really is literally all it takes. Once somebody reaches out and says, I want to make this happen, and they demonstrate 
that they're willing to put in work and time, right? It's not just they call me and say, hey, I want to make this happen. And then they go marching off, which, by the way, sometimes has happened. And that's cool. I understand it. People, you know, life happens. People get overwhelmed. But there are are so many people who really call me up and say, I really want to make this happen. And what we do is we start spreading the word. We get in touch with other organizations. We do Zoom calls or in-person calls or work to get interviews where I can talk about the Green Amendment movement in that state. And that conversation always ends with an invitation of, do you want to get involved? And then, uh, you know, people gravitate towards the movement and we start to have regular conversations and those conversations are, okay, what's the next step? What do we need to do to make this happen in your state? And everybody brings forth their great ideas and we work collaboratively to make it happen. But it really is in the final analysis, as much as I have a lot of expertise and knowledge and experience and want to be a partner because I can bring all that to bear on the effort. In the final analysis, a constitutional amendment is a right of the people of that state. They're the ones who are going to have to be the voices for it and make the decision to vote for it when they get that, that opportunity. So that's why I work so carefully with the community and help lift up their voices. So somebody, you know, is an environmentalist and they're like, what, what can I do? And, you know, like, I want to be out there and fight for the earth. The Green Amendment movement is something you you can be involved in and you can be a lead voice. You can write letters to the editor. Like there are all sorts of things that we talk about and and train people to do and they can become the leading voice in their community. And it's really nourishing and enriching and exciting and worthwhile. That's amazing. And it is so, so empowering to see that you can actually, as an environmental activist, and you don't have to wear a hat saying, I'm an environmental activist and I will only do environmental activist things. You can be an everyday normal person and still do that. Cast your vote when it's voting times for these bills, for everything. It's so, so important. But what other advice can you kind of give to like, say, we can empower environmental activists by doing? What I say to people, if they care about the environment and they're looking to get involved, the first question is, what what is the thing that most resonates with you? Do you care about animals? Do you care about trees and forests? Do you care about rivers? Right. We can't. Not everybody can do everything. There's not enough time for all of us to do everything. So you have to pick your personal priority. And then you do have to do a little bit of research. What is the organization that's working in your community on protecting the animals or battling against fracking or pipelines or liquefied natural gas export facilities or fighting for renewable energy, right? And Connect up with that organization because they will actually tell you what needs to be done. They might give you a, you know, if you get involved with the Green Amendment movement, I will tell you, right? Like our work together. What petition can you sign? What legislator do you need to write to? How do you write a letter to the editor? A letter to the editor that goes in the local newspaper is such a powerful way for you to share the message of the importance of environmental protection and whatever, what issue it is that you care most about. How opportunities to come to the legislature where you live and speak with those government officials, urge them, ask them, demand 
that they undertake the action that you are seeking to accomplish. Again, stopping something bad or supporting something good. There are so many ways to get involved, but it really all comes down to how are you going to invest your time and energy in a way that will help achieve success, but also nurture your soul? Because only if you're feeling nurtured and good about it, are you going to stay involved? So that's really what I say. What's your personal priority? What do you love or care about most? Or what it, what, what's making you most angry when you read the news? And find that local organization that's working on that issue. And I really say find the local organization because I will tell you, it is the smaller grassroots organizations that accomplish the most with the fewest resources. The big green organizations who've got gobs and gobs of money. I can't tell you how many times somebody calls me and says, well, I called such and such an organization, you know, this big, massive national or international organization that literally has millions and millions of dollars. And, oh, well, you should call the Delaware Riverkeeper Network or you should call Green Amendments for the Generations. And we have very limited resources. But you know what? We never turn anybody away. So your local organization is the one that's going to give you the best opportunity for engagement. And then how do we kind of then secure our right to an environmental future for us and for future generations? Well, I'll say you have to get a Green Amendment. If you really, right, we can talk about all we want about the right to clean water and clean air and for future generations to have a stable climate. But if you can't enforce that right legally, it's just pretty words on a page. And that's what the Green Amendment does, is it takes that human right to a clean, safe, and healthy environment that we hold in our hearts and we hold in our minds that we believe in, and it actually makes it real by making it legally, constitutionally enforceable. Yeah, because I feel that is, in the end, that is something that, you know, we we really need. There's, you know, there can be promises made, but if it's not legal, if it's not an actual standard that is governed by the law, there's so many loopholes that that come in. And I've just seen it like kind of here um, at the moment in Western Australia, we've got one of the most record amount of environmental impact assessments that's being done currently. So people are struggling to actually find people that does environmental impact uh, assessments. And, you know, at the moment, our regulation says that we need to enhance the environment, but none of the EIAs that's actually coming in is enhancing the environment. It's trying to minimize the impact, but, you know, no one is actually looking at are we going to make it better? Because again, that green comes in. It's not, it's going to cost too much. You know, we're going to lose all of our profits. So let's just take the money and go and pay someone to do an EIA that's going to make it sound like we're going to do something great, you know? So it's really, but if there was a law that could go like, hang on, no, you need to do this. Then, you know, it just makes it so much easier for environmentalists to actually be able to not do so much heavy lifting and fighting these organizations. <laughs> but from your perspective, like, is there a way that we can kind of find some common ground, you know, with some of these like dirty 
energy transition that's happening? Like, you know, what advice can can you like give? Like, obviously, there's a lot's happening, but yeah, from your from your perspective. The truth is, is there are some people that you will never reach. And if somebody is the head of a dirty fossil fuel company and they are out there continuing to advance the idea that they should be allowed to continue to mine and frack and burn dirty fossil fuels, there really is no convincing them. I mean, it's not there might be, but it's not worth the time or the energy. What we really need to do is get everybody else to understand and to rally together and to demand change. And when government officials won't make change, if you ideally live in a country where you can elect better people to office, elect better people to office. Don't keep electing people to office that think it's fine to frack or it's fine to devastate our water or our air as long as they get more political power or somebody else gets more profits. I mean, we have to start holding these government officials accountable. I get so sick and tired of people, oh, I really care about the environment. And then they vote for somebody like Donald Trump, who is just out there devastating the environment. You know, don't tell me that you believe in civil rights and then you vote for politicians who don't support civil rights amongst them, which should be, you know, the right to a healthy environment. So some of it is pick your battles. There are some people that we just aren't going to convince or it's too hard to convince. But if we can get everybody who cares or doesn't yet know enough to care, but if educated would get on board, then we can rally and really make a whole lot of difference. And the other thing I will just say in terms of these big industrial operators that really are willing to sacrifice the environment and communities for their own profits, I'll tell you when their ears open, their ears open when it's their kid that gets cancer, right? When they're the ones who are starting to experience dementia or Alzheimer's linked to air pollution, when their friend breathes in so much dirty air that it causes them to have an asthma attack or a heart attack, right? When they find out that their water is the water that's contaminated with PFAS, toxic contamination, that's when those people start to care, but it's too late, right? They've already done so much damage that their soul is blackened and they will not recover. And I don't care. You know, they can come back and do good, but they're just not going to undo the harm they've inflicted. But I find that that is when people who either don't care or don't care enough to take the time to learn because they're focused just on their own lives all the time, when they're directly affected, that's when the opportunity comes to inform and engage about the issue that's affected them, but also about the broader issues of the environment and environmental protection needs. Exactly. Oh, I love that. That is, I couldn't have said it that better. That's amazing. And just like kind of touching back on that, like voting thing as well, because here, one of the independent politicians here in our local council one thing that she's actually doing quite adamant is to also change laws to make it more visible for people to see who is donating money to these politicians. Because if currently here, and I know in the US as well, if there's certain donations that's under a certain amount, it is not seen. Like you cannot see who gave that money. 
And I often feel like, you know, it is these big organizations that's donating tons and tons. They're donating to every single politician so that they know if that guy comes into office, well, we donated to his campaign. You know, we're, we're sorted. He's going to sign all the bills that we want him to sign because, you know, he kind of owes us. So I think talking about bills and talking about everything, I think that is something that, you know, we need to be fighting for as well, because that transparency is so key to know who has put that guy or woman in there and who's he responding to, you know, who who's who's keeping him accountable for the decisions that he's making. And You know, if it is someone that is very transparent, I won't accept money from X, Y, and Z, and you can see it, then you know, you know, maybe this person might make better choices when it comes to the environment, when it comes to putting our future and future generations ahead, you know, are they going to say, yes, I want to fight for the future, or are they going to say, no, that beach house in the Hamptons sounds pretty nice right about now, you know? <laughs> so we need to think about that as well. No, 100%. And like you just said, I couldn't say it better myself. <laughs> so now we are moving on to our more standard stuff. So Maya, what has been one of your most important decisions that you have made around Mama Earth? Oh, Boy, I mean, I think that there are there are two. One is that in my personal life, every single day, I try to do my best when it comes to protecting the environment, making changes, sometimes sacrifices, large and small, in how I garden in my garden to if I want a cup of coffee and I'm out in the world and I forgot my reusable cup, guess what? I don't get that coffee. I mean, all these decisions, large and small, how I nurture my my family, personally making the choice to be a vegetarian. So all the way around, I try to live a good life. And then professionally, dedicating my life to the environment and on a daily basis, just reminding myself that it is a true honor, an honor to be able to get up every day and be be an environmental activist. And so on difficult days, I remind myself on that or of that, that helps get me through and just remind myself there's nothing else that I would rather, that I would rather do. And I think just that personal recognition that it is an honor to fight for the earth helps me every day, I, I hope, be the best activist that I can be. Well, it's an honor to have you on the podcast and also for you to share with us and to be able to do the work that you're doing, because what you are doing is really making a difference. And you can be so bloody damn proud of yourself because we are all rooting for you. Thank you. I appreciate it. You're most welcome. So we are now going to move into our final five. First one is what is one social media account or publication that you follow? Law 360, because they do publications every or, you know, um, stories and posts every day about things that have happened in environmental law. And that's just critically important for me to be aware of in my work. Oh, that's a great one. I have not heard about them. So I'm definitely going to link that up so I can follow them as well. 
And what is your hope for Mama Earth going forward? That we all love her enough to let her heal. I love that. And obviously, you know, she's part of our journey as well. So we definitely need her. And what advice can you give our crazy birds this week to help out Mama Earth? Find an issue in the press where the earth is being harmed by something someone is doing and get active. Do one thing this week to make a difference not just in your personal life, but to advocate for the earth. And again, that's about what do you care about? But find that issue this week and just please do something. Make the time to do something because it's only when all of our voices come together in defense of Mama Earth that her voice will be lifted up and she will get the protection and the respect she deserves. Awesome. And what is one sustainability fact that you like to use in a room with people not yet on a sustainable journey? More people die from water pollution every year than war. Wow. Wow. That's a, that's a lot. <laughs> and where can people find you and the Green Amendment? www.forthegenerations.org or just type in Green Amendment and inevitably you will find me. Or you can go to the show notes and I'll link it all up there for you. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much, Maya, for being such an amazing guest on the podcast and good luck with all the future amendments and looking forward to following your journey and all of the amazing work that you are doing. Thank you so much. And that's a wrap. Huge thank you for our amazing guests for being on the podcast and for sharing their journey with us. You can find the show notes of this episode on the mamaearthtalk.com's website. The biggest thank you goes out to all of you crazy birds for listening to the podcast. If you have not already listened to all of the episodes, you can go back to a few of them. You will absolutely love them. I really enjoyed recording every single one of them and I really hope that you enjoy listening to them. There's over a hundred episodes so if you feel a little bit lost on which one to listen to next maybe select one of the episodes with guests that you might want to know more of and start from there. If you enjoy the episodes why not tell a friend about the podcast and maybe share an episode with them. Let them know that we are here and we are waiting for them with open arms and they are all very welcome to join the crazy birds globally. If you have a question for me, please send them over. The best way to get in contact with me would probably be a DM on Instagram. You can either send it to my personal, which is at Zero Waste Mariska, or the podcast, which is at Mama Earth Talk, or send me an email at hello at mamaearthtalk.com. If there's a particular guest or topic that you would like to hear on the podcast, let me know. I love to hear from all you crazy birds. New episodes are uploaded every second Monday, so make sure to subscribe that you do not miss a thing. Mama Earth has a voice and it's us crazy birds.